0: Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. Yeah, I'm uh, Dr. Nick Berman. Thank you very much for watching today. I'm going to talk to you about the PopChange project. So uh, this was a project I was involved with two hats on. Firstly, at, with the University of Liverpool in the Department of Geography and Planning there uh, as a postdoc researcher where we generated the resource. Uh, and then at Clear Mapping Company where we generated the, the front end, so the, the interface that we have to use this data. So just to, to start, kind of, what, why, did we come, why are we doing this? So why is it important to make census data more accessible? And I'm probably going to spend about two-thirds of the time on the why and then about a third on the kind of how aspect. And there's a, a few technical details, but I won't go into too much detail. But if you want me to expand on more, we can do that at the end with the questions. So I think it's quite fair to say that the census is a very powerful Uh, set of data and it provides a very useful range of data so we can look at unpaid care which we've got up here or we can look at uh, workday locations as opposed to home locations and there's a whole range of different aspects we can look at with the census data whether it be tables, graphs, maps, a whole range of data sources that is really useful but the census data is quite hard to access I would say Fortunately, we don't have to go back to the, the paper records like this for the, the censuses from 1971 onwards. Uh, but the uh, websites that we use to set access census data, they're very comprehensive, but as a result, I would say they're relatively complex to use. So one of the more common ones is one called CASWeb, uh, which has got a census data for the UK from 1971 to 2001, so not the latest 2011 census. And it works very well, but it's still got a little bit of a kind of uh, late 90s, early 2000s web interface ethos. So it's fine. Uh, It does the job, but it it can be quite intimidating if you're not used to dealing with this sort of data. Uh, The the more recent version done by UK Data Services Infuse, which has got 2001 and 2011 data on it, uh, but only for England and Wales. And it's a a bit more of a kind of slick interface. and so there's some more information about what the variables are and what they mean and what you can use them for. Uh, but more often than not, you end up with a, a, a list of numbers or lots of options to choose from. Scotland does their census data slightly differently. Uh, they've got a separate website uh, for 2001, 2011. Uh, they do have quite a nice map, which you can do stuff with, which is great. Uh, but equally, you often end up scrolling through long lists of, of data to select what you need to select. Um, And ultimately, you often end up with an Excel spreadsheet, so a table of numbers, really. Uh, And that's what what we call current census data. If you want to go back further and look at archive data, uh, there's not a kind of systematically digitized version of the census available pre-1971. And even the 1971, 81 and 91 data Uh, have only relatively recently been made available. There was a a research project to get it uh, digitized in a usable form on the web. It used to be in a a, a COBOL database, if anybody's old enough to remember those. Uh, And so in that form, it wasn't very usable. So it's a lot more usable than it was. Um, And before 1971, the data aren't systematically available in a, a kind of digital usable form. If you go kind of... 100 years plus back, then you have the, the genealogy census data, and that's quite a, a different way of accessing it. So we wanted to make this census data easier to access, uh, and we're particularly interested in how people can look at uh, change over time, particularly for small areas, and the idea is that if the data is easier to access, more people will use it. So wh- why, why am I spending all this time saying what the problem is? Well, at the moment, census data is made available in units called output areas. Uh, So there's about 32-ish thousand across the country, and each output area is about 100 households or so. And so these are quite small units, so they're quite detailed, which is great. But comparing these over time is quite difficult because they change, uh, usually as a result of housing development. This is a a lovely example of housing development in northwest Swindon. So this was in 2004. You see we've got a relatively green area, Quite a few houses up in the north section, but then in 2011, just seven years later, it's filled with housing, and there are a lot more than 100 households there. So every time you get this kind of urban growth, the output areas have to be changed to take this into account, and that means then they're different for the different censuses. Uh, a nice example of this is for Liverpool. So we've got the blue. Uh, boundaries, which are 1991, what they call enumeration districts, so very similar to output areas from our point of view. And then in the red, we've got the 2011 output areas. So you can see there's very little overlap between them. Uh, if we wanted to compare what happened in, say, uh, one of these output areas, uh, compared it, what it is now and what it was in 1991, it'd be quite difficult because the areas are so different. This is a uh, com- particularly a problem if you want to go from looking at any of these three data sets, 71, 81, or 91, to 2001 or 2011. Because there's... ONS completely redesigned how they uh, distributed the data to a much better way, and there's lots of benefits of output errors, but it makes doing this comparison quite tricky. And there are a whole range of people who might be interested in these comparisons. So this is the kind of example from the census website to give you a a bit of an idea. Government departments, great use of the census, local authorities, uh, community groups, um, research and academics as well. So there's a whole range of users. Some of them who will be interested in change over time and some who won't necessarily. In terms of the people who are kind of interested in this change over time element, uh, in the PopChange website so far, uh, the bulk of our users are academic or researchers. And that's probably partly because it started off as an academic project. But we do have a range of users from other sectors, and this, these are the, the people we want to uh, help with this resource to make the data more accessible. Okay, so how did we go about doing this? Well, we. Uh, we took most of the variables for all of the years, and I'll talk a bit more about the variables later, and we converted them into a one kilometre grid across Great Britain. So this grid is the same over time, so it's very easy to compare changes in this grid over time. We've got plans to do a 100 metre resolution grid for urban areas, uh, and that's still in process at the moment. And so, We've got the data, which is great, but we also wanted to make it more easily available. So we create an online resource to enable people to do comparisons, so you can see how much, say, an area's uh, population has changed over time, how the age groups have changed over time, and so on. Uh, And the online resource allows you to select which year you're interested in, and then also which uh, variable you're interested in. So we've got age, we've got ethnicity, country of birth, health, there's a whole range, a whole list on there. Uh, and then you select which year you're looking, you want to look at the change from, so 2001 let's say, and then it will give you a nice map. And so this is uh, uh, an interactive map so you can zoom in and look at different sections uh, and this is looking at the proportion of the population age 0 to 14. So in the red areas it's increased by quite a lot and these are the counts, the so number of people, uh, and in the blue areas it's decreased. And so you can see we've got an increase in London, uh, decrease in places like Liverpool, uh, decrease in Glasgow, and it's it's a great way of making this data much easier to access because you you saw me go through the slides there and doing it on the website it doesn't take any longer. In order to do this, we did limit the comparisons and the number of variables that people could use online to make it more accessible because you can either give. Uh, Everybody, the whole data set uh, and make a very comprehensive website but also relatively complex or we can limit what people can do and make it much easier to use. Uh, So the the variables are limited to what we've got in the the drop-down box here. And for some variables that's fine. Uh, Particularly when we look at change over time because sometimes the census questions vary over time. Age, as an example, is a, quite a nice variable because you can't really ask age in a different way over time. You know, people are 35 or 25 or whatever. It's, the categories are the same, and these uh, seven categories are the same across all of the uh, five census periods. The, some questions do change over time, and one example is the, the health question. So in 2011, it was how good is your health in general, and you had the options of good, fair or bad, And then in 2001, it was over the last 12 months, would you say your health on the whole has been, then you get to choose fairly good, good or not good. So it's not the same question, how comparable is it? That really depends on what you want to use the data for. So we wanted to give the users of this the opportunity to make that decision, but also support them in making that decision, not just say, you know, they're different, go off, work it out yourself but highlight to them the fact that it was different. Uh, so when you do the selection, if it's got one of these uh, relationships, we'd call it, between, so, you know, 2001, fairly good, and 2011, good, we it will come up with a little message saying that the, this comparison, you're comparing slightly different answers to different questions. Do you want to continue with that? Then the user's fine to say, yes, carry on, or it, it probably mean they want to go away and find out exactly what it is they're comparing. And so we, we purposefully created this resource with a simple interface and layout. Um, but we also do have the option to get the more detailed data if you wish, and if you want, you can download it and do your own analysis in a, a GIS, Geographic Information System of your choice. So along with the online map, we've got various download options here. Uh, so we can look at, you can, it will generate a nice PDF with a map if you want that or you can get it in various image formats, it also does it in shapefile format or you can get the source uh, grid data as well if you want to do your own analysis. So we wanted the resource to be simple but also flexible. And we, the idea of this is we hope that this, making the census data easier to use, more people can make use of the data uh, more people can look at change over time for the, the what, we, what we call small areas in this case. So people might be interested in their local neighbourhood or their town or that's, that type of thing. Uh, we also, it's also a great tool of showing how useful spatial data can be because there's this whole census data resource uh, that is there, but it's quite difficult to get into if you've not got you know years of training in. Uh, GIS. And we can also show how important the census data is and why it might be better or worse than other data sources. So that's the kind of why background. Uh, I'm going to cover a little bit of the, the kind of how did we do it. So firstly from a kind of uh, academic is probably a bit strong but the kind of how did we create the data in the first place. Uh, so. We wanted to aggregate data to one-kilometre grids, so the the squares you see on the screen here, Uh, and these were from either enumeration districts or output areas, so the the, uh, different-shaped polygons on there. And uh, we used the density of postcodes to get an estimate for how many people were in each area. So the the blue dots on here are the postcode densities. You can see we've got, you know, various urban settlements, and then in the rural areas it's quite thinly spaced. So what we did was we, we have the total population for each output area, uh, take that, then uh, allocate that to a surface based on where the postcode densities are and then aggregate those to the one kilometer grids. So um, take the postcodes and we have a, a, a density grid uh, and then we overlay it with the output areas, work out the populations and aggregate them to the grid cell. Essentially. Uh, the population is then allocated to one-kilometre grids based on these postcode densities. So if you've got more postcodes in one area, you get more people in that area. It's our logic. The reason we use postcodes is because we have postcode centroids for uh, all the way going back to 1981. So it's a consistent data source across the the time period we're interested in. Uh, This then allows us to generate these grids for as many census variables as we want uh, for all of the the five time periods, so 2011 all the way back to 1971. As always, it's good to test whether our estimation actually works Um, and we've done some evaluation of this. Interestingly, there was a a gridded output for the 1971 census for Great Britain, um, which is essentially what we're trying to create, Uh, but that's now a missing dataset. Nobody can find it. We've searched high and low. The ONS have looked for it. A whole range of people have been looking for it. Uh, it's probably stuck on a tape drive somewhere in some academic's office, no doubt, but we can't find it. Um, and that's what, one of the reasons we're creating the resource. Uh, there is gridded data for Northern Ireland. So for all the census years from 1971, they've already done this process with the source data. So that's a great example for us to compare the data for Great Britain with the the data for Northern Ireland. So Northern Ireland, they structure the census a little bit differently. They have things called small areas rather than output areas. Um, And so total population 1.8 million and they've got Uh, 4,500 of these small areas. So this is the population density, total persons per hectare by small area Uh, and then this is their their gridded output, so what the the census data tell us from Northern Ireland. And then this is our estimated method, so we use the same method I've described done for Great Britain for Northern Ireland, this is our estimated method. this is the count where we have uh, at least one person, kind of numerically in, in terms of the data. The, we've got a threshold of 25 people because that, uh, our experiments have shown that uh, this much more accurately represents the real world. And when we look at the difference between the uh, estimated, so based on our model and our observed, this is the kind of output we get. Generally, it's pretty good. Uh, There are certain areas where you've got clusters of big positive or negative differences uh, and that's most likely due to how uh, groups are allocated, particularly if you've got quite a a high density residential area, for example, tower blocks or something like that. If the tower block falls on the wrong side of the line in our model, you'll have quite a lot of people allocated to the wrong space. Uh, And there are certain examples where you can see this, particularly around uh, Belfast. When we uh, d- do the same thing for the, the UK, this is the kind of overall total numbers of people we get, you know, fairly uh, as we would expect. And these are with the, the, the filters for uh, more than or equal to 25 people. One of the advantages of using uh, a grid as opposed to output areas is that conceptually there are quite a few places where people don't live, you have zero people. And so this method shows this up quite nicely. Even in the, the below threshold of one person, there's quite a lot of areas of Scotland, that, you know, pe- people don't live there. And that is, can be quite useful when we're looking at analysis of where people live. Uh, we did do uh, some rem- refinement to the, this population modelling. So we used a smoothing method to uh, reallocate people to grids that were within an output area it makes the the data more like it is in reality. So just a a, a few notes on the kind of technical side. Uh, We did the the allocations of population to the grid cells and the smoothing uh, completed in R. So R is an open source program used for a range of statistics and spatial modeling. Uh, And the, the source code or the code is freely available for anyone to use. It's on GitHub. And it means that if there are other people who want additional variables for the UK census, it's very easy for them to run the code for that. Or if uh, people doing other census across the world want to use a similar approach to generate a gridded product, it's, it's quite straightforward for them to do that as well. So as well as the, the data being well used, we wanted to make the methodology open and used as well. Uh, and so the, all, all of it, it we. Uh, version-controlled it with Git, and it's all available on GitHub. Uh, And we we made this open source to ensure that the data is available to anybody who wants to use it, and to uh, promote future collaboration, because, you know, we've done up to 2011, uh, we're going to have a census in 2021, and there will be other data sets that we could include in that after that, so uh, we want it to be there for the community, if you like that, to, to be used. In terms of the, the resource itself, so the, the website, uh, all the data is stored in uh, PostgreSQL database, uh, and the website is written in a program, uh, language called Closure, which is based on the Java virtual machine. Uh, and we actually pulled in various bits of the QGIS desktop package uh, using the, the Python extensions for that to do various calculations for the symbology. So we've made use of a lot of existing uh, programs to put this together. So that's one of the great benefits of open source, is that you can pick out what you need uh, and create a new resource based on all the existing materials. Uh, we also created a range of workshops and practicals related to the resource, um, and they're freely available as well. Uh, so this is if you want to take the data or want to do some more uh, advanced work with it, Uh, that the the website can't do, you can download the data and we've got uh, practicals to go through how to do different things like uh, clipping out local authorities, uh, re-symbolising it and so on. The PopChange project is still kind of in development at the moment, it is officially launched but we are running a workshop in London uh, in conjunction with the University of Liverpool Uh, so if you want to find out more please do come along. Uh, It's at the University of Liverpool in London, just down the road from here, on Monday the 6th of February. And so we can, if you're interested, let us know and we can uh, let you know more details about that. Uh, And lastly, POPChange is a developing project. It's something we want to keep going. Uh, So if if you think it might be useful for you, please have a go uh, and do let us know what your feedback is. um, uh, Because we want to make sure the data is there for you to use. And in our first workshop, we had a few feedbacks about file formats and layout. And we've implemented those changes already. So uh, we will listen to your feedback and do something about it if we can. Great. Thank you very much.
1: Um, it's question time now. And if we've got any questions on the live feed, if I could use hashtag uh, ODI Fridays, then we can call those out as part of the question asking. I'd just like to kick us off with one, if that's okay. Please. Um, are there any plans to develop the map further, like bringing in, for example, other
0: sources of data from other places? Uh, we do have some plans for that. Um, the academic research project was funded for the census data and the stuff that, that's there already. We, uh, the team at Liverpool, led by Chris Lloyd, are applying for further funding to integrate further data sources uh, and also to apply the same principle to other sensors censuses across the world.
1: Thank
0: you. Any other questions? Um, have you, you said you work quite closely with the NS. to try and find that 1971 data. Um, what have they thought about the idea of mapping onto one-kilometre grids? Uh, they, they really like the idea. They are quite supportive of the project and they were one of the the supporters when we originally did the funding application. Uh, They can definitely see the the benefits of having a a uniform geography over time. At one level, it's not too crucial what the geography is, but the grids are a a, a nice kind of simple, conceptually way of understanding the data. And there are a range of benefits of using grids over output areas. Um, So we've highlighted some of the examples advantages of the Northern Ireland data being available in grids, and uh, hopefully this resource will make the Great Britain data available in a similar format. Did you have any problems about it still being anonymous um, or anything like that by...? The, for our, uh, when we took taken the output area data and transposed it into uh, grids, the uh, the the data are already anonymous so there's no kind of additional concerns with relate to that when the northern ireland data are created i know the, the ons there they do a range of filtering and they do uh, if there are certain variables with very low counts they either exclude them or they swap small counts about so you can't tell exactly where individuals are and you can't identify individuals And and sorry. lastly, where did you choose for your origin for your one-kilometre-square grid? It's based on the British National Grid. Okay.
1: Thank
0: you. Anyone else? Hello, Tony McGuire, Neighbourhood Researcher. Um, Are there plans to integrate other sources of data than the census, for example, you know, uh, local authority reporting? Uh, th- there's certainly potential to do this, there's, uh, that's one of the areas that we're applying for funding for to develop the resource and, and we've looked at a range of data sources that might be possible to integrate but as it's an academic project it's all relying on funding uh, as, as, as you probably well know. I haven't quite formulated in my head but what about the ecological fallacy, where does that fit in this? Uh, that's, that's a very good question. So just briefly, for anybody who's not sure what the ecological fallacy is, uh, this is when we're dealing with groups of data rather than individual data points. And uh, for the, the grid data, you're quite right, it, it is a potential issue. So not everybody in the same grid cell will have the same characteristics. Uh, and that's one of the disadvantages of using aggregated data. So uh, as long as we take that into account when using the data, um, that, that's fine. In terms of how much of an impact it has in terms of this resource, it's relatively difficult to tell because we don't have the individual-level data to compare it to. So, like any data sources that people use that are aggregated, it's something we need to be aware of.
1: More questions? Do you have any questions? Yeah, Twitter. So, a couple from the audience at ODI Bristol, I think, or Leeds actually. ODI Leeds, sorry. Um, One is, did you think about whether the postcode was residential or not?
0: Uh, At this stage, we have not taken into account whether the postcodes are residential or commercial. Uh, That is on our our list of things to do in the future. So thank you for highlighting that. It's it's on the list already.
1: Um, Thank you. And the second one was, would you only use it for comparing the same area over time? If you compared areas with each other, would it be a problem because the population could be so different?
0: Um, if you mean in terms of uh, comparing counts of people, there's the option to compare percentages. So we can say, you know, as the age 0 to 14 increased by X number of percent, uh, so we can use percentages to get around that, that question. Um, and that, that's available on the website, so you tick a box saying percentages rather than counts. If that's not quite the question, if they could ask it again and clarify, I'll happily have another go at answering it.
1: Any more from the room? No. Oh, I've got a question about when you access the map, you have to create a username and login. What, what's the reason for, for having a gateway to access it?
0: Uh, we, there's no cost restriction at all. What we want to do is we want to log uh, how many people use it. Uh, and as a part of the reporting to the ESRC who funded the project, they want to know how many people are using it, uh, what what they're doing with the data. Um, the only thing that gets recorded, we only ask for an email address. And there is a box for a name, but you don't have to fill that in, uh, and you don't have to tell us what you use the data for. We'd like to know because it's always interesting to know how these data sets are used, but that's not a requirement by any means.
1: Thanks. Any more? No. I Has the? Oh, yeah.
0: It's a very, very technical question. Um, you sped over the uh, the, um, the slide about uh, kernel estimation, mm-hmm. kernel yes. density estimation, um, and you said, I think it said, <laughs> that that was into one-kilometer grids. Yes. Do those, presumably, those one-kilometer grids synchronize with your grid system yes it it is the same grid system yes and uh, there there are some more details on the smoothing process so we can have a chat afterwards or I can uh, send you a paper on it if you're interested
1: any more I've got another question (laughs) any specific lessons that you've learnt from this project that you would pass on to somebody else who'd be creating a or doing a similar project
0: I think one of the one of the things we thought quite a lot about before doing the project is the open nature of the project and we decided at the beginning that we wanted to use uh, programs or data, resources that were as open as as possible so we made an active decision at the beginning to do that and I think if you want to create a project in that way it's best to start that at the beginning. Uh, When the University of Liverpool hired Clear Mapping to create the Uh, website resource, that was also at one of the forefronts, one of the important aspects. So that helped us uh, choose the technology that met the requirements for that project. And I think, I hope it will become more common in these type of academic projects to ensure that the uh, code you write or the algorithms you develop or the resources you develop are open uh, to ensure that more widely used and the, the research councils have given quite a push recently for open access in terms of journal articles uh, and open data as well and so anything we can do to facilitate that is always useful. Um, one of the things I found when doing Northern Ireland mapping before is that um, unlike the rest of the UK, you, there's, something, there's a copyright issue with getting some of the uh, county and super output areas, or they don't have super output areas. Did you come across any problems with um, any of the geographical uh, copyright on any of those data? For the Northern Ireland comparison, I wasn't directly involved in that. So I'm I'm not aware that we had any issues in terms of copyright and so on. Um, uh, But the the leader of the project, Chris Lloyd, would be better placed to answer that. So I can always uh, let you know what he says on that.
1: Any more? Anna, are there any more on Twitter? There no one. Excellent. I think we'll draw the talk to a close. Thank you very much, Nick.
0: Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.